0: Hour number two, Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Good to be with you. Woo! Football nearly here to save the day. ACC kickoff this week. War Chant will have you covered. Boys on the road. I'll be back here ready to lock in with those guys as we get set. Hopefully something big in the way of positivity occurs, uh, at least uh, in our continued ACC discussion. But I do know this even if it doesn't, even if nothing uh, in the way of clarity emerges from the ACC kickoff to the bigger questions anyhow. Even if that doesn't happen, practice is about to happen. That is happening. This season is going to be played. And in the short term, this uh, money deficit, as felt by the teams in the ACC, uh, really doesn't play out in such a way to be devastating for now. I mean, this upcoming season, that is. So uh, let's let's just, again... Focus on this for now. Understanding there's that. <laughs> but but we, we finally have this thing here as in the way of real games and real practices getting underway.
2: Texas and OU was announced when we were up there last year, mm. and so I'm just waiting to see because I think all that talk I had last hour about ESPN and Fox, maybe at some point just figuring out let's divide the world in half for each other, you know, you half for me, half for you. The conferences like to make splashes in high-profile situations and to really drive the knife in there and twist it a little bit. So part of me wonders if there wouldn't be some sort of ACC-esque story, maybe even more rumors that's been planted by another conference that comes out and leaks as the commissioner (laughs) is speaking. Planted by a
0: network, probably. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, fine. Fine. I hope it's a plant by ESPN that creates a buzz for the ACC and invokes some sort of emotion or or change or something along those lines. Like
2: Thamel colon. North Carolina, others contacted by SEC, you know, and all that is is a speculative article, but that's the headline is Jim Phillips is talking at the dais. Yeah,
0: the, the problem with that though, and that's it's the same problem for everybody because there's already been the article that says that Clemson and Florida State and Miami and North Carolina have been contacted. Like you're gonna get these some variation of that article. It's gonna happen a lot over the next however long period of time is between this time and the time that it actually happens. It doesn't matter because they're all hindered by the same thing. It's, it's again, the grant of rights stuff that you've got to solve. So it's not – I don't care if they name Georgia Tech, Miami, Pitt, and freaking Virginia, where you'd be like, whatever. It doesn't matter. They're all stuck.
2: Yeah, the question, I guess, would be if they didn't extend it under uh, President Thrasher's watch, mm. would we even be having this discussion about no. the grant of rights? No, everybody would be moved on whether or not the trigger date was 2029 or 2030 or earlier because they wanted to buy out Mm. i think we would have firm resolution to the acc problem as in it would be going away
0: i agree with that that'd be great damn it man (laughs) uh really quick by the way i just wanted to mention this because i'm gonna forget as we get into football stuff uh but but i have it here just because i was kind of i kind of raised an eyebrow at one of these things it has Nothing to do, do with four State football, but it does have to do with four State basketball. You know, we always keep an eye on this really quickly. Um, the, the completion of the NBA Summer League in Las Vegas, which I get it. You probably didn't watch. I didn't watch. Most people didn't watch. Um, but you have a number of four State guys there. And that includes, by the way, Butler. But here you go. Fiondu Gelly now with the Celtics. Well, did you see that? No. 14 eight points per game, shot nearly 60% from the field, 40% from three. Uh, had himself in five games, had himself a,
2: okay. a run. You know, we thought that given where he was drafted, he would stick in the NBA, not get demoted. But maybe he's a late bloomer as a pro. Written well, for him.
0: He's got a shot to to stick with the Celtics. They need, obviously, center depth because Robert Williams gets hurt. He, Bryce loves Robert Williams, loves him. But, um, but, yeah, block it Bob, he calls him, but he loves him. Um, yeah. <laughs> He does. He walks around. I love his passion
2: for the NBA. Oh that that is so random, but I love it.
0: Oh, when that series was going on, when the finals were going on, he he'd watch a lot of times. Like we've got real late. I'd watch in my room. He'd watch in his room if it was late, late, and going to bed. And he'd open the door. Bob and Bob came through again. He loves him. Loves him. I think that's his biggest fan.
2: But also- you should get him to talk to old intern John.
0: I know I should. Well, you're right. Yeah. And then uh, the other reason is Al Horford's 36. I mean, good God, how long is he? Goes so maybe maybe Fiondo sticks in that rotation somehow. Uh, John Butler ended up with the Pelicans and uh, played four games, averaged eight and a half points. Actually, had a perfect shooting night uh, to cap it off. Raquan Gray seven points a game, shot 36 percent from the field, uh, and he was with the Nets. If you didn't know. Uh, we'll see if what works out for him or not. Malik Osborne was with the Cavaliers, averaged six points a game. Balsa. Oh, all right. Yeah.
2: Balsa Steel.
0: Balsa Steel with the Pistons, averaging just four points a game. Eleven minutes a game, four games. Anthony Polite, three points a game, averaged uh, three, just over three minutes per game for the Spurs. Uh, played one game. So I so much of an average, just one game. And then finally, MJ Walker. At two points a game, played in three games. It's a toughie for MJ. So that's 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 where we're at. That's a look at the summer league with those and guys.
2: Terrence Mann is vested. This is what a world. Out of all paid. those guys you named, Terrence Mann is the vested one. He is good for him.
0: Paid and feeling good and a vital part of the organization. Like he's a player player. Not a guy like, oh, that's not no, he's a player. He's and now that is Bryce's favorite player.
2: Terrence Mann. Oh, yeah. yeah
0: huge, huge Terrence Mann guy and I tell him all the time, you've picked a good guy a good guy to root for there's a guy that's earned it, there's a guy that's tough there's a guy that has gotten better seemingly every year he's played basketball you think about his first year here all the way through what he is now in the league, he's gotten better every year
2: that's the thing for this year's group is who is going to be their Terrence Mann or Trent Forrest and I don't mean necessarily filling up the stat sheet you gotta have the sandpaper you gotta have toughness, we were tougher in, in that COVID season than any team we played well, we're going to win the title, I don't know, but we were tough as nails and last year we were soft as tissue paper.
0: Oh, maddeningly so. That was a not, you know, that's the first non-likeable team we've had in a long long time. Man, were we unlikable. Very, very frustrated. Uh, I, I just
2: Hopefully they're pissed off all off-season and that changes. And that, well,
0: and they they had a good off-season too. Yeah, that's they the other did. thing to that's the other thing to note. All right, so if you missed the first hour, harkening back, it is uh it is a time to celebrate because ACC kickoff this week. We know SEC media days as well. All of this is the the start of the buzz that creates the the joy in our lives that is college football. And moreover, again, without Major headlines say nothing happens this week that is, uh, you know, life altering for FSU or for the ACC. You still know that basically a week from today, we are underway with the start of practice in such a pivotal season with so many position battles and depth chart battles, I should say. Even though there are plenty of guys that you know coming back are likely to start, there's a lot of fight for playing time. We know, again, the importance of the season. I can't wait for us to get over there to the practice facilities and, and, and really not only the opening press conference, because I am curious, Mike's demeanor, all that good stuff. Uh, he's handled it really well. I don't think he's going to change. If you're not going to waver after you lose that home to Jacksonville State, probably not going to waver now. Pressure is pressure either way. Ira and I did the Sunday smash last night. and go back and watch on WarChant TV. or go check it out on WarChant.com. We were talking about how Mike will handle – a game the magnitude of LSU, and I always point out, yeah, he coached some big games in Memphis, but he's yet to coach a game of this magnitude with all eyes on sets, nationally televised, monster of a game on the road in that setting. Like it was a home last year against Notre Dame, right? So
2: right, and they hosted game day for the big game with uh, Cincinnati years ago. Years ago, yeah. right?
0: And they were everybody's darling at that point. So this yep, is yep. this is an an important year. You got to show progress. You're up against a, uh, a a name brand, if you will, in New Orleans with everybody watching. Obviously. You can't go out there and stink up the joint and create any momentum doing that. So I don't think he'll change much. Somebody in the chat earlier asked about how we think the transition in play calling will go. I don't really worry. The process for how they set up situations, and that's really what the week of preparation is about when it comes to play calling. It differs per opponent. Now, obviously, you have your core Uh, tenets of what you want to do on offense and what you're doing on defense, and you don't waver too far from that. Coaches love to point out to to fans that you're not going to stray too far away from what you do. You know, when you hear coaches get asked the question, are you worried about so-and-so doing this, this, and this, or how do you prepare for this, this, and this, when, when a new coach comes to a place, they always say, no, not really, because... Coaches got to where they were are because they have a way that they go about their business. They have, like, Jibbo's offense is Jibbo's offense. He's not going to radically shift his offense. Now, he may stress certain aspects of that offense, you know, more than others in a given year based on talent. That's true for all coaches. But you're not going to stray terribly far from what you do. So, so why do I bring that up? Well, I mean, I, when I think about, What they're going to do and what we hope they're going to be capable of doing, that is the only area of real growth that I want to see coming into this season. Now, do they have the ability to expand the playbook? The playbook is the same no matter what. That's why I say I don't worry about the transition of Dillingham going to Oregon and Atkins and obviously Norvell interacting because the playbook's the playbook. And they're going to go through the same process they went through before. Somebody might point out, well, I think Dillingham did a good job of being up in the booth looking down on what was happening and informing play calls or calling a game that way, he's still going to have eyes. He's still going to
2: have eyes in the yeah, booth. That doesn't Atkins, change. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, he's going to have eyes up there that tell you some of the shifts. But what you do is what you do. I just hope it expands.
2: Yeah, I think there will be more collaboration, too, because Kenny always said that he and Mike were of one mind. So I, I, now there's going to be a new mind in the room when uh, when they're discussing and installing. It, it's also good that Atkins is brutally honest, mm. and that's the way he coaches, too about what the offensive line is capable of. So when it's time to install for a given week, no matter what the other side looks like and where their strengths and weaknesses are in the line, linebackers, wherever, he knows and he'll say, we can do this. We cannot get here and where we need to be to make these plays work. I just, I really like how brutal he is consistently. Like You, you listen to some of the recruits that have just committed to Florida State. And they'll talk, Atkins will talk to them about what they're not doing right, what they need to clean up. It's not all pie in the sky and then they turn into a taskmaster when you arrive after you've signed your letter of intent. It's always about getting better and being brutally honest. Because there were some game plans last year where I thought, we hope we were able to do this and that. I think it would be a little bit more realistic. You're not, Atkins as a first-time offensive coordinator with Mike is not going to get caught hoping that we can run something. We're only going to, I think, install what we can possibly do.
0: So I got the good fortune, I've always talked about this since it happened, uh, of, of talking to Mike when I was the guest coach a year, two years ago uh, for spring, and the biggest benefit of that was him talking to all of us about the process of putting together game day and game planning um, and, and play calling. And he talked to us in great detail about how that works, and I thought it was infinitely fascinating. Um, and I got to see all of the boards, the situations, everything that is up there. And there's a lot, but all of that is pre-planned. Nothing about that process is going to change. So when somebody says, I'm worried that one guy leaves, is it going to upset the apple cart? It's the same. They're still going to do the same things they've always done. He has, as I say, a philosophy, right? This is what I run. This is my offense. And everybody's offense is really just stealing facets of other people's offense. There's nothing new under the sun in football. But this is what I believe, right? And so you have that, right? That's your offense. Within that offense, certain aspects of it, based on personnel and the competition, dictate what you do situationally. None of that's going to change. As long as you're on the same page during the week as you put together the game plan and it's informed by insight like you just described. Yeah.
2: A louder voice in the room from the offensive line right, coach is right. not a bad thing.
0: Not at all. Right. I think it probably improves things. It, it's So, yes, I agree. I agree. There, and there's a reason. Offensive line coaches frequently become head coaches. There's a reason for that. I think. By the way, our offensive line coach is on the path to being a head coach. So Very fast. So this, this is all well and good. I don't think anything changes in a way that is negative. I think, if anything, they're probably a little bit better off. Uh, I am curious about the relationship of whom, who it is that's going to be up in the booth. Probably Tokar. So I, right, I would think, right? Yeah. But now, again, That's
2: interesting. The quarterbacks like him. So you might yeah. need a good cop, bad cop there. Could be Thompson. I don't know.
0: I think it would need. You would want to. Uh,
2: Thompson has some high level experience. So a lot of experience.
0: Yeah. You just. I mean, listen. It's not as if that. I don't want to diminish the importance of that role because how you express things and say things and in what kind of a timely fashion you do so matters. But any experienced football coach can go up in the booth and know what they're looking at.
2: Yeah. This is a, Guys, they're doing this to us. Yeah, Click, I mean, yeah, you know, that, yeah. that's
0: all that is. This is what they're doing, You know, whether there's a shade or an over. Well, you know, They they, they pick up on that pretty quickly. And they have to know the kinds of things that if you're ground level that you, maybe you're not seeing, the subtle things that maybe you're not seeing. That's your only role up
2: there, really. There was a, a tweet. I think it came out today, but it's, it's dated information. Uh, Chris Brown, Smart Football, retweeted it. It is a list of... Alabama's keys about game planning and what assignments were to every specific coach, every little position coach and Mm -hmm. GAs and whatever. And it's a two-page document with questions and expectations of what you're going to bring to the meeting for preparation. Really cool and insightful stuff. Uh, I'm sure it's done at every program. That's not novel to Nick Saban that every coach has a responsibility about how to collaborate and make things work. But that's the kind of conversation that you're talking about. It goes on no matter what. It's just that Atkins' voice is louder in the room. And you know, As if elevated, you were going to yeah. pick anybody on that offensive staff whose voice should be the loudest, not Mike because he's the head coach, anybody else on the offensive side? It ain't going to be Ron Dugans. I, I think we want Atkins on 12. Yeah, I think that's the volume we'd that like him. Pretty easy.
0: Jeff Cameron, Show 93, 3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Effort to try to get Cody Malstrom on. He writes for Action Sports and uh, use a lot of their metrics uh, to take a look at a team and what they are, what they are not. Uh, just one of many measurement sticks to use. As um, you get a, you get a sense of uh, transfer portal stuff more from these sites now than you did in the past, which is important because that's changed everything about how quickly a team can turn things around. But I was reading an article that he wrote about taking the over on FSU's six-and-a-half total. And, of course, that feeds right into our ongoing conversation of the the offseason about what's possible. But, man, there's a couple of things that really stand out, and you and I were talking about this in the first hour, and I brought it up. Looking at this stat would have uh, further emboldened me to, to state more emphatically the problems we had in the red zone. It's interesting. So the offense, quote, I'm reading from the piece now, will have plenty of room to improve. This is a unit that finished 89th in offensive success rate 96th in offensive finishing drives and 114th in havoc rate allowed points out that havoc sticks out the most because fsu gave up 351 yards on tackles for a loss which was the 12th worst mark in the entire country
2: that feels right golly but again
0: that going back to the the finishing drives uh, they were 96th in offensive finishing drives and drives, man, they really, because those drives were arduous. <laughs> those drives took a long time. You could, you had to put together a, a series of successful plays that was well beyond the norm.
2: Yeah, just think about it in very, very simple terms. If you give up 350 yards of negative plays, tackles for loss yardage, that's over three touchdowns worth. And how valuable would three more touchdowns have been if you spread it around the right places in that schedule? What the win loss record would have been. Yeah. And and that's not even to talk about hidden yardage in in the special teams game. So you're talking about, what do you think, between five and 600 yards of negative yardage on tackles for loss and special teams hidden yardage battles that we just simply did not win.
0: Well, it's just the sheer number. uh, You know, we're talking, when we talk about whether it's offensive or defensive, whenever we're talking about success rates and things like that, people might say, well, what are you talking about? But those are all. Measures of efficiency. That's all those are. Those are measures of efficiency. And there's, there's a metric. There's a way to look at it. You could talk about 50% of the yards needed to gain a first down. How That's the first thing you look at. Then 70% of the You, know, you can go on down this list of uh, measurements. But it just shows you how inefficient we were offensively um, in multiple categories. And it's it's frustrating because now that is an area that I think they will be
2: much better at. Well, and that's the, the amazing thing is if you look at the metrics and even services like PFF that tell mm-hmm. you about trench play, and yet they were able to devise up enough explosive runs that our yards per carry for the year was 4.8. I mean, think of that, that's a decent number, 4.8 yards per carry. And a video that we're going to be doing today on War Chan TV is, is about looking at some of these key numbers and, and where do you think they're going to be next year. Well, I mean, if they're 4.8 with a group that can't block for the run, typically... And you don't really have a home run hitter. Corbin ended up hitting home runs, but he's not the same thing as watching Chris Thompson. No, you're your, your you know, home on run an hitter outside is Jordan zone. Travis making somebody right. miss in a
0: phone booth and running for 40 yards. Right, yeah, yeah, and yeah.
2: that obviously is going to help add to the numbers. That adds
0: a lot to your yards per
2: carry. But his sack yardage comes off the total in college, which is dumb, but it does. So it's 4.8 even with all the sacks that right. we took. It, it's got to go up with a better offensive line and a guy like Trey Benson now in the rotation.
0: So I'll, to. I'll I'll give you this too, by the way, on, as to why he's taking the total, the over in the on the total. Uh, and this I'll read directly from his piece, just because I don't want anybody to think I'm stealing this. This is this is good stuff. While the offense was abysmal and scrambling for answers for most of the year, it was the defense that willed the Knowles to a strong finish. They boasted impressive season-ending ranks, including 34th in defensive success rate, 19th in defensive finishing drives, and 29th in havoc rate. Now, Jermaine. Johnson went a long way. It's his middle name. Yeah, yeah. Better yet, a majority of this elite unit does return with an outstanding ninety-five percent
2: in defensive tarp. Wait, wait a minute. Did he say the word elite?
0: Uh yeah. The majority of this elite unit returns. What? Yeah, he's talking about the second half of the season. They were they were pretty elite in the second half of the wait, season. Dr. Know. Phil thing. I know. Yeah. Elite. The secondary highlights the defensive side of the ball A familiar faces returning Kevin Knowles, Amarian Cooper, Jamie Robinson. And you know a solidified back in, FSU brought in more pressure that resulted in 33 sacks and 130 sack yards. Now again, Jermaine Johnson's off to the NFL. We know that, but you do bring in Jared Verse, who finished last year with 14 and a half sacks. You figure if you project him to say nine this year, and do you get improve- Briggs will obviously bring something to the table. think yeah, that's critical. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, but then he mentions that Tatum Bethune is a huge difference maker, and if you just take what he did at UCF and. You talk about finishing tackles, 108, that's doing some things. So, yeah, man, uh, you have a continuity of positions. You bring in some better players who have been proven. Uh, you know, you, you do have a chance. You do have a chance to better yourself and start the season in a way that they haven't seen in a long time. I mean, again, we can point to these numbers on the back end of the second half of the season that got us all excited, and rightfully so, but you got to start the season – like that, I mean, we, we were so, oh, it was a- almost unwatchable for a stretch there. So if you start the year that way, then it certainly looks like there are opportunities enough to win seven games. That's why he's taking the over. There's opportunities enough to win seven games. And it's a combined eight and 13 the last two seasons, so that would be a huge leg up. Ira Schaffel joins us as he's wont to do on a Monday. Good to talk to Ira again. We had a chance last night, or another reminder on the Sunday Smash. If you missed it, go back and watch that Warchant TV and on Warchant.com. Hello, Ira. How you doing, Jeff? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm uh, I'm excited about uh, what today represents, which is basically, you know, we're pretty much a week away from the start of of, of football. Because uh, once practice starts, that's a that's a daily deal. Plus, you guys are headed off to the ACC kickoff, and uh, I'm excited to, to to a get a report from you and what's going on, what we find out from the uh, from the Charlotte uh, goings on, but also uh, what might Norvell and crew have to say. What are you looking forward to the most for this trek to Charlotte?
3: Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see you know how the you know the media interest in Florida State is. You know, the last few years, you know, you go back 10 years ago, um, it was. Florida State was the bell of the ball every year. And you know, going back to when Coach Bowden was the head coach, even when Florida State wasn't good, he still drew the most attention. Um, the last couple of years, you know, Florida State's just kind of been, oh, and Florida State's here too. Mm-hmm. Um, and there just hasn't been that much interest. I'm kind of curious if maybe there's some some renewed interest in maybe Jordan Travis uh, after what he did the last couple of months of last season. Um, and just the program overall, or if it's still seen as an afterthought. I, I think NC State, is going to get a lot of the buzz this week. I think you're going to, I wouldn't shock me if they got picked to win the Atlantic or at least close the gap on Clemson. Um, so I think a lot of the attention is going to be on Clemson and NC State and also Wake Forest, obviously, because of their season last year. But but I'm curious to see if uh, Florida State just, you know, kind of generates some more interest because the last couple of years it's been a little sparse at the, uh, the Florida State guys' table.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either, by the way, if NC State was selected because think about it a year ago they did beat Clemson. Uh, and you have you have what you need to get selected to win a division. You have a veteran presence. You have uh, a veteran quarterback who's very good. You have a, a pretty dominant defensive line. So you have all those things. I still think Clemson's projected to win more games if we look at those numbers, but but, but maybe by one. So I could see that. What I'm more interested in, Ira, and I is is Florida State thought to be, and you just alluded to it, above Louisville. Are they considered to be a better team than Wake Forest? Obviously, we think they're a better team than Boston College and Syracuse, but if they are seen in a better light, how much better of a light is that? Is it above, uh, you know, say Louisville and Wake? Because then you're third in the Atlantic, and that would be a huge step up from where Florida
3: State's been. I know, and it's just, it's kind of crazy to say that, you know, because even in years when, you know, Florida State was down, like in the late 2000s and, and, uh, you know, it seemed like the media would still pick Florida State to win the division. And that's probably how it'll be for Clemson. If Clemson takes a step back this year and continues to step backwards, uh, you know, now they've lost all those coordinators and the great run of quarterbacks, you know, it's possible that they kind of slide back. And, it, you know, that, that lag will probably exist for several years where they still get picked at the top of the conference. But, um, you know, I think that you know, I, I saw David Teal, our friend up uh, who covers uh, mm-hmm. you know, Virginia and Virginia Tech, longtime ACC, ACC sports writer, and I think he had Florida State third or fourth, and uh, he might have had him fourth behind Wake. And, um, you know, and I was kind of like, come on, David. But, you know, the reality is, I mean, Wake Forest is coming off a 10-1 season. They do have their quarterback back, and I think that was one other, you know, we always laugh at the preseason award watch list, and, you know, the one for the Maxwell came out today. And you know it's there's eighty five people on it, so there's obviously a, it's a they're cast a wide a wide net to get interest in those awards. But you know there's ten guys FSU's is going to face on that Maxwell Award list, and and a lot of them are quarterbacks. And you just talked about NC State and Devin Leary's numbers for the last year are insane. And so you know there are it's going to be a challenge to to beat some of these teams in the Atlantic just with the quarterbacks they have.
0: Malik Cunningham uh, comes to mind when we talk about that. I mean, everybody rightfully turns their attention to Dave Doran's group at NC State because of how veteran they are. You mentioned Sam Hartman at Wake Forest, uh, and, and Devin Leary is so good at NC State. But, man, I, we, we haven't really been able to solve Malik Cunningham, and um, you know, I, that's a game that if Florida State's going to be the team that finishes third in the ACC Atlantic, they've got to win that game. They've got to go win that game. They've got to solve that riddle.
3: But who has? I mean, really, if you look at it, I mean, consistently. Now they've lost some games, but it's not usually uh, because people really shut him down very often. I mean, I think he had almost three thousand yards passing and a thousand yard rushing. And uh, you know, and he's you know he's not necessarily a guy you're going to project as a as a as a high NFL draft pick as a quarterback. But but he he can play, and he's and he's played so much. I mean, he's basically started since some. I think he started somebody as a freshman, and now he's a senior, so he's played a ton of games. And you're going to be playing them at home. You know, I really wish, you know, last year was probably the year Florida State really needed to get Louisville because they had him at home. This year they're going up there. And, you know, and again, the, the one nice thing about that game is, and I, one thing that could tilt it in Florida State's favor, if they can deal with Malik Cunningham, is the fact that, you know, Florida State will be coming off of that bye week. Louisville would have played the week before at UCF, and it's a Friday night. Um, you just kind of wish that game was here. If it was here, I think I, I think I'd like Florida State. Win that game pretty comfortably up there with that quarterback, it might be tough.
0: The only thing I'm hoping for is they were not. Um you know, they weren't very good on defense last year, meaning yeah. Louisville, and and so can you win a shootout? I know that Louisville's defense is relying heavily, Now we do too oftentimes, but Louisville's defense is rel- relying heavily on transfers. Uh, they, they figured out, uh, Satterfield figured out, well, it's my ass. I've got to have a good season here. Uh, he went out and got, uh, I think it's seven players, six of whom are expected to, to play significant snaps on that defense. If they're not much better defensively, then maybe if this offense is that much better, you, you could win a shootout or something along those lines. See, but it's good. We're talking about actual games and players and teams and practice, buddy. <laughs> Safe travels, brother. Good talking to you.
3: Appreciate it. Take care. Yeah, man.
0: Um, you know, when we do this, when we play this game, I know we got to go to break. Jerkovic, Jerkovic at, uh, at Boston College, projected NFL quarterback. Okay? Malik Cunningham's not a projected NFL quarterback, but, man, he's a really good college football player. He's a really good college football player, and it's – Annoying. Ira alluded to Sam Hartman, who threw for over 4,000 yards and 39 touchdowns a year ago. I mean, sweet Jesus. Uh, When you consider how difficult it's been for us uh, to to find any consistency at the position, it makes you mad. I mentioned Devin Leary, who threw for over 3,500 yards a year ago, and then is also, uh, you know, he's a good runner. Uh, the stat that popped off the page last year for Devin Leary was he threw thirty-five touchdown, over thirty-five touchdowns and five interceptions. These these are different kind of numbers yes, that we're talking uh, yeah. about.
2: Unfortunately, this is an ACC quarterback wise that looks something like back in twenty fourteen when the conference was okay playing outside and against other opponents. But remember that year, the defenses were so good. They were, but there was there was a lot of versatility in, in the offenses. Obviously, Georgia Tech helped carry the water too with a New Year's Six win. But this is just, it's a loaded conference this year, and none of these guys wanted to go test their wares in a weak quarterback draft. Great. To our benefit.
0: Well, and what if DJ is so much better than he was a year ago? He completed 56% of his passes, which is awful in college football. Uh, They were over 100th and something, uh, 100 and something in success rate offensively. Have they
2: solved their offensive line issues, and will he see ghosts?
0: Well... I hope not. They've got a stud behind them. They may go to right off the bat. They do have Will Shipley back. He'll run the football. He certainly ran against us, despite their offensive line. So you know, I gotta again. I would pick Clemson over us. So I think we keep going back to that Louisville game. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got to surprise somebody.
2: You know, you have to surprise. I mean, it might be our own selves. You know, I'm like, ooh, I'm surprised. Look at us, everybody. Yeah. Look at us. But you've got to do it at least once this year. At least once.
0: Some roofing companies say they're the best in town, with the best price around, and safety is their top priority, but they don't always have your best interest at heart. At T-Spark Enterprises Roofing and Construction, they believe in doing things the right way and a safe way. Employees undergo regular safety training, constantly being educated on new techniques, new materials, like becoming, this is my favorite one, master metal applicators, Tom. That's what they are. Have you considered a new metal roof? Perhaps you have. Long-lasting and durable You're in luck. T-Spark Enterprises roofing and construction are the best in town, period. Give them a call today, 766-1340. Get a free quote today at tsparkconstruction.com.
1: The Jeff Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3.
0: You know what I didn't mention when I was talking about Clemson and we talk about the chances of you know winning, surprising somebody winning a game that you're not supposed to to try to get to 8-9 wins. Certainly taking care of business in games where it's a 50-50 and you're at home. You gotta, you're going to have to do that. But you know what? Thank God Justin Ross is gone. I forgot about that dude. Damn it, man. I was just going back through during the break yeah. and looking at numbers everywhere, and I was like, God, I forgot how good that guy
2: is. He had problems, though, last year, didn't he? He was, he was the one with the dropsies, and then there was uh, chatter. There's just kind of some noise under the surface. I, I hope we hear about things like that with Clemson again. Make it two years in a row that it seems like not everybody's on the same page.
0: Well, I'm just tired of seeing six foot four, two 210-pound guys that can run like the wind blows being available. Yeah. You know, like,
2: I, 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 they're not on our team but you can have them and still lose games you shouldn't. We've gone through that before. And the not I'd like to have them. I'd like to
0: see what happens if we have them again. I would too. It would be nice. Guys that you go, "Well, that's freakishly athletic. That's a wonderful play there."
2: Do you think Clemson writes the ship or is there still more noise in the system and a gutted staff leads to losses that shouldn't happen?
0: Well, they're yeah, okay. So that the gutted staff part of it is huge. This all gets back to Dabo Sweeney decide, deciding to promote from within. You know, he's a big culture guy. He's talked about it. And when you go back and you look at these numbers, again, these are numbers that I pulled up for our discussion. Uh, they happen to be right in front of me, sadly. But uh, they won 10 games for 11 straight years. That is – that's a run. So why do I bring that up? Well, that's why he's proud of the culture that he's built. He's saying this is what we are. We are wildly consistent. This is – this this is, you know um, – 2015-2020, they had six straight ACC titles and uh, college football playoff appearances to go along with the two national titles. So uh, that, that, is a, that, that is a toughie. Um, but from there, we get into losing staff members and beginning to hear some noise in the system like you're talking about. So, you know, Wes Goodwin is now replacing Brent Venables does he hit the ground running because he was his right-hand man? Maybe. I don't know. Let's hope there's a drop-off.
2: They get quite the ramp-up this season, too. I just looked at the layout of their schedule. I don't know if you'd crunch their numbers for Sportsbook or not. But their their beginning of their season is Georgia Tech on that Monday, which we know.
0: Ass-beaten that they're going to deliver in that one.
2: Short week. They play that Saturday, but it's Furman. And then it's Louisiana Tech. So their first game of interest is not until the, uh, the 24th of the month. And they're at Wake Forest, followed by a game at home against NC State. So that, Back to back, good games. That two-week sequence is tough, but they have a month to, to lead up to it. That's followed by a trip at Boston College after Wake and NC State, so that's a get-right week. And then they play us on the road. Then it's Syracuse a bye, and if you're doing win totals again, a tough sequence to start after the bye. It's at Notre Dame, then they host Louisville, and they host Miami. Another interesting three-week run. So if they get to 10 games this year, that would be an accomplishment given all the problems that were there last year and a new staff.
0: They have enough talent that if they're right and they're all pulling in the same direction and they get any kind of better play from their quarterback, then they're going to do that again, man. It hasn't... Those drop offs take some time. You need that roster to get gutted over time. You need you know, you need the failures to add up so that the recruiting dies down to a point where all of a sudden now you see real holes. Last year coming into the season, remember, I talked about how gettable they were. Not because I thought their quarterback would play poorly, but I told you before the year started, their offensive line was a disaster. And it turned out to be a real problem for them all year long. In addition to the fact the quarterback lost confidence behind that offensive line and didn't play anything like what they thought he would based on his performance against Notre Dame on the road at that. So I don't know. Maybe he does get right because their offensive line's better. It couldn't be worse than it was last year for them. They had real problems there. So uh, I can't answer that until we see them. I do know that the roster is loaded. So I, I worry less about Clemson. I put them over here as a team that we, we've got to aspire to get to back to that level. But I worry about the rest of the ACC is gettable, and that division in particular. Uh, yes, it would be surprising to go win on the road against NC State this year. I think it's a, it's a good NC State team. Probably the best team Dave Doran's ever going to have is, is this year. Um, but, you know, Louisville's gettable. Wake is gettable here. Are all those games. So that's what I continue to hyper-focus on more than anything else. By the way, again, I brought up the, the touchdown-to-interception ratio at NC State. Sam Hartman, 39 touchdowns last year, 12th in total QBR, 4,228 yards passing. It's a good thing their defense stinks. Yeah,
2: it's a good thing that game's here, too. Well, At, at some point, you know, with Wake Forest, at some point.
0: I bitched about it last week. I just... <laughs> I'm so, I'm so tired of the ridiculousness and special teams and absurdities. Of, uh, and you can't, you can't account when you go into a game for officiating to be a travesty. But the first half of that game.
2: Well, we're still on this conference for now, buddy, so buckle up.
0: I would, the week we play Wake, I would sit down with the the home office. Let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at every one of these calls in the first half that buried us. That gave us zero chance. Now, we didn't help ourselves because we kept rolling McKenzie Milton out
2: there. Stop snickering on the other line. Come (laughs) on now.
0: Let's look at this roughing the punter nonsense you called here. This hit out of bounds that didn't happen. That's a damn shame, Mike. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) If it were that, if it were that, you would get in a car and drive up there.
2: <laughs> you would do oh, the, I'd record the phone call. Like, yeah. Are you
0: kidding me with this? Let's do some probables, shall we? Let's get to. No, you want to. Let's
2: Who's forfe- throwing? It.
0: Oh, that's right.
2: Do you have the. Uh, oh, my. Do you have the guys who are throwing to the home run derby contestants? you know, how, you know contestants? how quickly
0: that snuck up on me
2: in lieu of probables? And I'll go back over there. I'm going to search for the names of those guys. I'll send them to you if I can find them. Who's Nobody, throwing to I, the, Before
0: you do that, I want you to hear this. Okay. Because it's just, it involves a subject that makes me laugh. <laughs> this is this is Sergio Garcia. Did you okay? I saw the headline, dude. This is a grown-up. Can you imagine sitting at a press conference and saying this? He has intended to now pull out of the DP World Tour. We know he already did this with the PGA in order to go to Lib. He resigned his PGA membership to play in the Live Series. He will now be ineligible for future Ryder Cups if he quits the DP World Tour, which it looks like he's doing. I'm quite clear about what I'm going to do with the European circuit. I'm likely to leave it, he told reporters on Sunday. I want to play where I feel loved. Right now in the European Tour, I am not feeling loved. I'm very happy with what I've achieved. I'm going to try to enjoy it. I'm going to play less. I'll spend more time at home. If I, if I can't play in any more majors, that's the way it's got to be. But it's not something that bothers me. I'm feeling sad because of the Ryder Cup right now. The way I'm playing, I wouldn't be selected anyhow. He goes on to talk about— well, there's an honest statement. Well, that, statement. that part yeah. is honest. Then he goes on to say, Thomas Bjorn, by the way, his former Ryder Cup captain, uh, who has been an outspoken critic of Liv, said— you know, when Thomas Bjorn, former Ryder Cup captain, came to the BMW Championship and told all of us, we don't love any of you, and all of the players say so, I haven't <laughs> I already have an age and had enough suffering to be enduring nonsense like that. That's not pretty. I have given more than half my life to the European Tour, and I wanted to continue playing there, but I'm not going to go where they don't want me. <laughs> What a petulant child.
2: How <sighs> good is that? That's so bad.
0: It's just bad. All pathetic. of that.
2: It's, like, it's not real. That that reads like the onion.
0: He, it does. He goes on to say, I, it's very sad to receive the treatment that I have because of a personal decision that I made. <laughs> I like that Thomas Bjorn walked in and was like, all you guys, get the hell up out of here. We don't love you. That's it, that's all. I'm washing my hands of you. All right, who's throwing to these guys?
2: <laughs> we do have a break we can use. I'm, I'm I'm only through two. Nobody has it consolidated, so I'm reading a story fast on ESPN to pick these names.
0: Well, you don't have to do that. We're not really overly concerned about who's going to be throwing batting practice. At the it's going to make contest. the difference. Tonight. It's the winning edge. Uh, I'm not as, as worried about it. I do know uh, the baseball all-star game, which is Tuesday, 8 o'clock, for those of that don't know, is the only all-star game that I care about. And I care about it less than I used to as a kid when they played really hard and hated each other. Uh, that was fun in my youth watching those games play out because they actually made managerial decisions based around winning.
2: And it was kind of like, look, we want to win the game. Didn't they finally wear unified uni- like, well, uniforms? Didn't they wear all-star game uniforms last year instead of their own
0: You would think I'd know that. but I I, think they
2: did, which I I was devastated to see. Don't do that. Yeah, the best part about it is you see the home and away uniforms for whatever ballpark it's in of every club, and they're all together because baseball uniforms outside of the D-backs are all awesome.
0: Yeah, outside of the D-backs is right because that's a terrible uniform.
2: And they've tried three different ways. I don't know how you
0: can screw it up that many times. Yeah, you go through them all. They're all pretty good. Yankees uniforms, as much as I hate the Yankees, good uniforms. Tigers, all-time great uniforms. Oh, yeah. A's uniforms are great. Pirates, Mets, Dodgers, Giants, all great. Rangers, good. I keep going. Rangers is good. Good, it's that's not great. Apt. Rays uniforms are great.
2: Red Sox uniforms Man, are great. Man, they got rid of the forest green, though. That was unfortunate. But they
0: actually it pulled w- off an incredible run. It's rare it ever happens. They got rid of something that was beloved. And the new thing doesn't suck. It's yeah. great.
2: And now they've infused. They, they wear the old Devil Rays uniforms every once in a while, and they wear the Ray hat. Yeah. Which is cool.
0: Yeah, Kansas City Royals uniforms, great. White Sox uniforms, awesome.
2: When I was you know Ma- whose uniforms suck? Hmm. Now Milwaukee. Those are awesome. Angels. Oh,
0: yeah. Sorry-ass yeah. uniforms. Get it well, together.
2: Speaks to their owner. Mm-hmm.
0: Rocky's uniforms kind of suck, too.
2: They're okay. They're just
0: average-ass The home pinstripes are all right. They're okay. Okay is right.
2: Okay. So I saw a hat, uh, a Rays hat. If you were more of a Rays enthusiast, I would have just gotten it for you in Manhattan at the new uh, Era Store, the baseball MLB store. And it is a Tampa Bay Rays TB with the Ray logo mm-hmm. in Rowdy's colors. Oh wow! Nice. And on the side, it has a patch of Tropicana Field. Should have got it. I, I would. You would have worn that. Oh yeah. yeah it's yeah, a yeah, flat bill fifty nine fifty. Oh well, no, no. Yeah.
0: I'm not doing that. But I would have done that. The, the
2: design. But it would have been cool for a display item too. And they they weren't selling those at all. There are like eighty of those.
0: Yeah the um, the nostalgia of uh, the old you know well Florida Power Park and before that Allang but you know Allang is uh, it's near and dear to my heart always has been and uh, you know I wish that they would have been able to come to some sort of an agreement to play there but
2: alas it is the Rowdies. aren't they doubling down on uh, Pinellas County again St Pete. That thing is as still the a mess. Turns. The
0: argument still continues. I don't know how that's going to go, uh, but I will. Are you going to watch the home run derby tonight?
2: Yeah, that's. I know Jamie's enthusiasm it. for the home run derby is one of the most adorable things. So I really enjoy you watching it. You put it on her. mute. It's ravaged now, right? So you so got a fair chance. We've
0: been saved. You know, all those years, the 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 shattered heart that I possessed on the night of the home run derby, mm-hmm. knowing that I was going to have to hear Berman's ridiculousness.
2: They also have. Gone. They used to. I don't know if they will continue it this year, but they had a second broadcast too, a statcast, where it shows you velocities. That's and That's a more that kind interesting broadcast. Yeah. So I'll have one of those two on.
0: I would, uh, I would endeavor in my life, if I had to do it over again, to be in a position that Juan Soto was in over the weekend, which is to negotiate a deal for four hundred and forty-three million dollars and turn it down, so that I could be traded. Would you
2: trade for him if you're the Mets? Yeah.
0: Money's no object for you
2: guys. Yeah, I know. I know. He just He's legitimately badass. You gotta have a strong culture with that guy, though. He seems to be a, he could be a problem child.
0: He's a really good player. I,
2: I know. It doesn't matter. He pushes the envelope uh, yeah. with his talent to the point where I'm like, I think I'll take that cancer. You
0: would take him. Of course you'd take him. Throw him in that lineup? You guys were already really good. I'd do it. Or I'd give all the talent you have in the minor leagues to the Pirates for David Bednar.
2: (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) Why not both?
0: Yeah, you should do both. Good work out of you. Good work, Matthew. Thanks, everybody. Be well. Tomorrow, some of the headlines. It is on the air. It is fresh content. We'll talk to you soon. Be good.